You know, there's an invariable law of human nature that if we choose to live our lives by it, I believe it has the potential not just to improve, not just to enhance, but to revolutionize perhaps every relationship in our life. One law of human nature. Now, I have some tools in my garage, and so I chose to bring stuff, some of these tools. Um, This is just a piece of wood. But you know, if you have wood, you can build stuff. Am I right? With just a few simple tools, and you know, I have my my pencil in here, and I'll get out uh, a little square. I want to make sure the cut is right. Now, I know we have power tools for this kind of thing. But uh, this morning, we're just going to kind of do it the old-fashioned way. Sorry, Sue, I don't know where you are. I'm not looking for you at this moment. That's getting it started. Be patient. I have to get started a little more. I might need to actually do one of these. Excuse me. There we go. That's probably good enough. I could finish it, you know. But I have to ask you, what is this right here? I heard mess. That was a woman I heard, I think. (laughs) Men, what is this? Sawdust. Did you hear how they said it? I love sawdust. <laughs> ah. When are they going to wise up and make some cologne that smells like sawdust? <laughs> Probably because it wouldn't work for the ladies. You smell like a mess. <laughs> so this is sawdust. And now my question is, which would you rather have in your eye? Some of this? Just a little flake. Or this! The plank or sawdust? It's a pretty uh, in-your-face kind of illustration, isn't it? Which would you rather have? It's kind of a no-brainer. But that's how Jesus puts it on his Sermon on the Mount. We're going to turn there, and uh, if you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn with me to Matthew chapter 7, and we're going to look at this analogy that Jesus puts together for us. Matthew chapter 7, looking at verse 1, and there we read, Judge not, that you be not judged. For with what judgment you judge, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. Now, Jesus is not saying we shouldn't use good judgment. In fact, throughout the book of Matthew, he tells us to do that. Just a few verses down, he says, don't cast your your pearls before swine. He talks later in Matthew about beware of false prophets. He says, you will know them by their fruits. 
So Jesus isn't saying don't use good judgment, nor is he saying that we should be accepting of sin, nor is he saying that we shouldn't hold people accountable. Matthew 18, also in this gospel, is very clear about holding people accountable. No, the context here in the passage that we just read involves hypocritical criticism that aims to tear down another. Quite a different thing. And so the aim is often to tear somebody down in order to build myself up. What better to make myself look good than to make you look, well, just not as good? This is not coming alongside another in love. This is not based on concern, genuine concern for that person. No, because the purpose here is not to build up, but rather to tear down. Not to encourage, but rather to discourage. Not to edify, but to expose. Are you aware of what they did? What they said? Can you believe that? The nerve. Judge not that you be not judged. Many scholars have interpreted verse 1 to read, Do not judge unfairly, lest you be judged in a similar way. Do we ever judge unfairly? For with what judgment, verse 2, you judge, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. And why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but do not consider the plank in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me remove the speck from your eye, and look, a plank is in your own eye? Hypocrite. First remove the plank from your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Here I see a call to humility. Don't judge people more harshly or by a different standard than you yourself would like to be judged by. And do you see the irony that he has just painted for us? We can find the speck, we can find the sawdust in somebody else, and we're so quick to, to zero in on the tiniest flaw. We can read their motives, and we can see things so clearly, we think. All the while being blinded by our outrageously huge failure. Is that possible today? So notice what Jesus has done. He's not being reactionary here. He's not pushing back because somebody is attacking him at this moment. But he's simply expounding on this sermon that begins with the Beatitudes. And in the heart of the Beatitudes, what do we find? This beautiful line, blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown what? Mercy. So there's no anger in Jesus' voice. He's not chiding anyone, but it's as if he's saying, hey, 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 come here, guys. Let me tell you something, followers of mine. I want to let you know on a little secret of human nature 
Now, it's not going to be real comfortable, but if you get this secret, every relationship will not just be improved or enhanced, but can be transformed, revolutionized. And so they're cocking their ears to listen. What could this secret be? What is it? Now, I don't know about you, but I'd love to have all of my relationships be revolutionized. And so, to start off, we have an age-old teaching that goes a little something like this. Maybe you've heard it. What you criticize in others is invariably true about you. One paraphrase puts the words we just read this way. It reads, don't pick on people. Don't jump on their failures. Don't criticize their faults unless, of course, you want the same treatment. That critical spirit has a way of boomeranging, end quote, as we're about to see. We must admit, these are hard words. I mean, come on, our schools and our young people are taught to be critical thinkers, right? I mean, even here at church, we want everyone to think for themselves, think for himself, for herself. Don't just take my word for it. Seek it out. Make sure this is what Scripture has to say. We have whole branches of knowledge called criticism, right? We have higher criticism, textual criticism, literary criticism, historical criticism. I mean, come on. We pride ourselves in the mental acuity that enables us to challenge the theories, critique the ideas, scrutinize the evidence, and even criticize their conclusions. Yes, but have you thought of? (laughs) No matter who the authority is, you don't just believe it, you check it out first, right? Now, that's good. That's not bad. That's why our schools and universities exist. We just don't want a bunch of lemmings. Anybody here have a doctorate and has gone through that doctoral committee process? Oh, that's a little team of critics that can hardly wait for their next victim, right? To walk through the door. To look at their research and critique it. The good news this morning is that Jesus is not challenging critical thinking. But the bad news is Jesus is challenging critical acting. And there's a difference. You see, the Greek word for hypocrite that Jesus used there in verse 5 is hypocrites. And it refers to an actor on a Greek stage. Think about that. One who pretends to be what they are not. She wears a mask and fools her audience. Doesn't that sound about right? Hypocrite. Wearing a mask. Two-faced. When I fool everybody by pretending to be something I'm not, I am, in fact, a hypocrite. Apparently, it's a favorite word of Jesus, used 17 times in the New Testament, Interestingly, 13 of those times are found in Matthew's gospel on the lips of Jesus. You hypocrite. Whew. 
Is it any wonder, really, that the former tax collector could resonate with this idea? Do you suppose Matthew ever grew weary of this fault-finding, finger-pointing critics that were always hounding him and biting at his heels? Always so critical. Oh, you know that kind. They can never change. Once a tax collector, always a tax collector. They're working an angle. And the danger for all of us is that there's a excuse me, a very thin line between critical thinking and critical acting. Because when you develop the skill of critiquing, you become more susceptible to the sin of criticizing. Is it true? I just listened to sermons before, and then when I went to preaching class, then I just really started picking them apart. Boy, that was a lame sermon. Boy, that introduction, that conclusion, those segues and how he introduced, that oh, was terrible. Is that what God wants for me on a Sabbath morning, wherever I happen to be? Or you might be saying, oh, come on. It's not a sin to be critical. I beg to differ with you. It is a sin. The English word for criticize is based on the word critic, which is from the Greek word krites, which is the word for a judge. According to James 4, verse 12, the apostle declares, there is only one lawgiver, only one judge, so who are you to judge your neighbor? So when I critique, when I criticize you, I take on sole prerogative of Almighty God. And that's a sin. Playing God to judge you is a sin. This is pretty serious stuff. Judge not, Jesus says, that you be not judged. For with what judgment you judge, you will be judged. And with the measure you see, it will be measured back to you. And why do you look at the speck at your brother's eye, but do not consider the plank in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me remove the speck from your eye, and look, a plank is in your own eye. Hypocrite. First remove the plank from your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. This is a stunning law of human nature. That little speck of sawdust in his or her life is nothing in comparison to the huge board you have jammed into yours. It's a law of human nature. What you criticize in others is invariably true about you. How many times have we seen this come true? I remember at my time at, during my time at Southern, I heard of a chaplain who was constantly hounding the, the students there at Southern Adventist University, and every time he had a chance to speak, he'd come back to the same issue over and over and over and how you should reserve yourself for marriage and you should not have premarital sex and all these things. And they, he just kept hounding on that and hounding on that by the end of the year. Do I need to finish? Word got out. He got his girlfriend pregnant. <laughs> beware, follower of Christ, Beware. What you criticize in others is invariably true about you. And we're so quick to jump on someone like this that has fallen off the bandwagon and yell, hypocrite! But as Christians, when someone, 
something like this happens, we need not criticize, but pray for their healing. Amen? Because if it were not for the grace of God for me, judge not. Don't you judge or you too will be judged. For what you criticize in others is invariably true about you. Paul got this same concept as well. In fact, we read in Romans chapter 2, verse 1. Turn there with me. Keep your finger there. Romans chapter 2, verse 1. And here we have Paul really echoing the words of Christ. Romans chapter 2, verse 1. As therefore, you who are inexcusable, O man, whoever you are who judge, for in whatever you judge another, you condemn yourself. For you who judge practice the same things. Isn't that interesting? I love the little book by Oswald Chambers, My Utmost for His Highest. On 169 of that book, it says, Every wrong thing I see in you, God locates it in me. Every time I judge, I condemn myself. Stop having a measuring rod for other people. There is always one fact more in every man's case about which we know nothing, end quote. You know, we're so hard on each other. But do you know that you don't understand everything that there is to know about that particular human being? You don't. You have no knowledge of his wife. You have no knowledge of her husband. You know nothing about their children. You know nothing about the home she grew up in. You know nothing about the fact that she's fighting a disease for her life. You know nothing about the pressures he bears. There is always one, one fact left that you know nothing about. And in our self-righteous, haughty spirit, we shred people, don't we? We can just shred them. But we don't know. The only one that knows everything is God, and that's why He is the only one who can judge. The only one. Chambers goes on, he says, I have never met a man I could despair after discerning what lies in me apart from the grace of God. If you have been shrewd in finding out the effects in others, remember that will be exactly the measure given to you. Life serves back in the coin you pay, end quote. What you give is what you get. Do not judge, or you too will be judged. Do you suppose that's part of the reason why we have such a hard time hanging out with critical people? Have you found that to be true? I mean, I'm going to be real honest with you. I don't like being around critical people. I can handle it for a time, but I can't handle it for long. <laughs> have you noticed there's something that's grading and how their spirit just kind of grades on you over time? 
that critical spirit, those little innuendos, that judgmental twist that they put on a leader's mistake, that sly but sugary sweet way of injecting their pharisaical judgment into the conversation. And the next time you're with somebody, I challenge you. And that person, they start criticizing somebody else. And by the way, that person will never be present. The next time that begins to happen, there are two realities that you can know about the person doing the criticizing. Two realities. I don't want you to forget these because it exposes the raw truth of our human nature. Reality number one. Jesus and Paul and Chambers have made clear to us this morning that the individual is struggling, the one that's criticizing, that is, is struggling with the very same weakness he or she has identified in somebody else. And in all fairness, the reason I know this law of nature to be true is because of my own critical spirit. I really have to work hard not to talk in a critical way of another person that's not present. It's tough. One of my former elders, he said, I tried to stop talking critically with my wife as we were walking and we'd go on this exercise for you know, a mile or two every night and, and we decided we're going to stop being critical of everybody. We're going to stop saying anything that is critical and we're just going to talk about other things. They walked in silence for almost a week. <laughs> that was his own testimony. And while I may do good at not speaking critically, I can be very critical of another person in my mind. And I've just shredded people in my mind. And I've learned that the reason I'm able to spot another person's weakness so quickly is because I have the same weakness. It's like when you drive a car. Have you ever gotten a new car? or a new-to-you car, and you, you thought you were being original, and then you started driving it around, and all of a sudden, they're everywhere. Have you noticed that? So the next time you hear somebody criticize another person, who, of course, will not be present, you can know immediately that he or she is struggling with the same weakness, the same sin, the same failure. And I tell you what, if those of us who enjoy criticizing people in public realize what we are actually saying about ourselves, we would keep our mouths shut, wouldn't we? And I tell you, this community would be a whole lot happier place to live. Do not judge or you too will be judged. I told you two realities. That's the first. He reveals his own weakness to you. And secondly, he cannot, you cannot trust your own confidential information with him or her. That's the second reality of the person who's critical. Which is why Judas was not part of Jesus' inner circle, by the way. He wanted to be. But because of a judgmental spirit. A judgmental spirit can turn on you in an instant. And Jesus could not afford to share his deepest confidences with Judas. Because if he's talking about so-and-so in my presence, as flattering as that may be, what do you suppose he or she is saying in somebody else's presence? And will it be about me this time? Never flatter yourselves because a critic takes you into their confidence to talk about somebody else. Because I promise you, they're doing the same thing about you behind your back. Trust me. Better yet, trust Jesus. 
Sadly, that's why critics have many informants, but very few friends. Have you noticed that? Powerful little book, Thoughts from the Mount of Blessings. Go home today and read 123 to 125. There's some beautiful lines in there. It says, The atmosphere of selfish and narrow criticism stifles the noble and generous emotions and causes men and women to become self-centered judges and petty spies. Why? Because we just thrive on this stuff. And the reason I'm being so hard on you is because I'm trying to cover up me. So because I have the same problem, I'm trying to deflect the attention. And if they're focused on you, you won't think about me. She goes on. The sin that leads to the most, not next to the most, second or third to the most, but the sin that leads to the most unhappy results is the cold, critical, unforgiving spirit that characterizes Phariseeism. He who is guilty of wrong is the first to suspect wrong. And by condemning another, he is trying to conceal or excuse the evil of his own heart. According to the figure that our Savior uses, according to the board and the sawdust, he who indulges a censorious or critical spirit is guilty of greater, greater sin than the one he has accused. For he not only commits the same sin, but adds to it conceit and censoriousness which is also an old word for spirit of criticism. He sits in the seat of a judge. And that's a double sin because there's only one judge. And when you play God, you're lost. If you want to play God, save yourself. You're lost. It's a sin. Oh, mercy. Where's the mercy? We need some mercy, right? Is there any mercy for the judgmental likes of you and me? Praise the Lord, there is. You see, every carpenter also has another tool. Perhaps it's the most important tool that you could have. Bryce, how long do you want that board? Well, he has the same rule that I have. And we measure off the same. Now, if at one point I decide to measure and use a different ruler, a different rule, a different standard, then this tape measure that's all the same as all the others. Now, if you go into Europe, and well, we won't talk about that. But if you get mixed up and you take this tape measure and you go down to Australia and you start to build something and I start cutting things different or even in one thing, I cut different than the standard. I ignore the standard. I get into big trouble. And there is a golden standard by which we can measure things that Jesus gives us. But we have to use it for every part of life or we're going to get in trouble. The divine carpenter makes a point to you and me. You have to have a rule. We oftentimes call it the golden rule, don't we? It's the only way we can survive. Let's go back to Matthew chapter 7, this time reading from verse 12. Matthew chapter 7, verse 12. And there we read, Matthew chapter 7, verse 12. 
Therefore, kind of the conclusion here, therefore, whatever you want men to do to you, do also to them. Could it be any more simple than that? Whatever you want men to do to you, do also to them. For this is the law and the prophets. All of God's teaching, Jesus says, you want to reduce all of God's teaching into one. Here it is, one golden rule, one single standard for God and for the rest of the universe. Same standard. Do to others as you'd like them to do to you. In other words, treat people the way you would like to be treated. Say it however you want. It's simple. And if we were to take a poll right now, I imagine it would be hands down unanimous. We want to be treated with mercy. Isn't it true? I mean, when you stand before the traffic judge and you just got a speeding ticket and it's there in your, your quivering, shaking hand, why are you here? Well, I was speeding. The words that come to mind, your honor with mercy. This afternoon, you back your car into someone else's in the church parking lot. Two words come to mind, please, with mercy. When you're moving your spouse's laptop off the kitchen table and you accidentally drop and the screen cracks and breaks, with mercy, treat me with mercy. When we stand before God because of little unfaithfulness or a big unfaithfulness, God with mercy, treat me with mercy. There isn't a human being on the planet that doesn't want to be treated with mercy. It's universal. Every culture, every nation, every era of time, I want mercy. Do you want mercy? I want mercy. For some of us, that makes us uncomfortable. I mean, if we have too much mercy, we'll no longer uphold the standard. But the reality is, friends, without mercy, nobody can uphold the standard. It is mercy that compels me not to do away with, but rather uphold the standard. Isn't it true? So let me ask you, would you want anybody else to be talking about you, criticizing you, condemning you, and you not be present to defend yourself? Would you ever want that to be the case? Wouldn't you rather say, okay, you want to talk? Let's talk. We're big boys. We can talk. But let me be there when we talk. Let me answer. Let me tell you that piece of information that maybe you don't know. Help me out as a loving brother. If I'm doing something wrong, please help me out. I need your help. But you can't tread me behind my back and expect me to grow from it. Now, can you? You're ripping my life apart and using it as little stepping stones to get higher than everybody else. Come on, wouldn't you want to be present? What does it come down to? Well, never, ever criticize somebody in his or her absence, period. If they're not there, you be quiet. Matthew 18 says you go straight to him and talk. Never, ever criticize someone who's not present. 
And now you have biblical, biblical permission. If somebody does, that's in your presence, now you have permission to say, time out, time out, time out. I don't know where you're going with this information that you're about to share, but it doesn't feel good. I think if you really have something to say, you need to go talk to him, go talk to her. I just assume not no. You know what? Five conversations like that, and that critical mind gets it. Jesus is giving us permission to never, ever criticize somebody, not even our enemy. Which is why Jesus, who had the right to throw the book at this sorry wretch of a betrayer called Judas, when Judas comes to Jesus early that Friday morning, Jesus looks into the face of his betrayer, knowing him for who he is, betraying him behind his back, and Jesus says, friend. He calls his enemy friend. You know why? Because Jesus, the divine carpenter, lives by his own rule. He lives by his own rule. And if the tables were turned, you'd want the same thing done to you. Keep calling me your friend. So when you've been betrayed, by, betrayed behind somebody's back, by somebody's tongue, still call him, still call her friend. Do you remember how Jesus treated his torturous executioners? I mean, this is the judge of the universe. Yet they've taken this divine carpenter and they are nailing his wrists to a board. And what does Jesus do? He says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Jesus practiced what he preached. And it's in Jesus' name that we see probably the shortest and simplest answer to criticism anywhere on earth today. And so when you're tempted to criticize someone that's not present, the moment that temptation arises, instead of criticizing, immediately pray for that person. That's what Jesus does. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they do. He prays for them. Intercede instead of criticize. Pray instead of judge. What would happen if we started to pray for everyone we used to criticize? Think about that. Now this elder couple who's walking has nothing to say. Oh, we got things to talk about now. We can pray for all of these people. Maybe they start prayer walking in a prayer walking club, and they just pray, pray, pray. Now be careful. You can criticize in your prayers in large groups. But what would happen in our families, in our churches, in our schools, in our business transactions, in our communities, if we prayed for each other instead of criticize? Pray instead of judge. Intercede instead of cut down. Because when you're praying for mercy for that man, for that woman, you are pleading for mercy for yourself. Did you know that? And when you do that, mercy comes running to both of you at the same time. You win with mercy. You always win with mercy. Treat others the way you want them to treat you. I'd like to close with one more quotation from the book, Thoughts from the Mount of Blessings, written over 100 years ago. Page 137, she writes, Search heaven and earth, and there is no truth revealed more powerful 
than that which is made manifest in works of mercy. Did you catch that? Prayers of mercy, works of mercy. And heaven on earth, no work more powerful than mercy. She goes on, this is the truth as it is in Jesus. When those who profess the name of Christ, like you and me, shall practice the principles of the golden rule. Hold on to your seat. The same power will attend the gospel today as in the apostolic times. If you want the power in the book of Acts, we need mercy. Some down his church has been called and challenged to revival and reformation, and I believe we need revival. We need reformation. And if you want revival like the early church had it, you practice the golden rule. And when you practice the golden rule, she says, that brings revival because it's the spirit of Jesus. It's Jesus made flesh through you and me. And the power of the book of Acts will be the power of the city of Hendersonville. You win with mercy. You always win with mercy. Do not judge or you too will be judged, but rather treat others the way you want them to treat you. Dear Lord, thank you for giving us this insight into the law of human nature that if we allow it will revolutionize every relationship we have. But in our insecurities, in our own sinfulness, and desire to justify self, far too often we criticize. We put others down, and we put ourselves in the judgment seat. Oh, Lord, in your abundant mercy, please forgive us. Help us to pray instead of judge. Intercede instead of criticize. Lord, very simply, help us to treat others as we would want to be treated, which is the very way you have treated us. And may the result be the outpouring of your Holy Spirit upon this place that we may experience the same revival that we read about in the book of Acts. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.